the Jewish Divorce Project. Because marriage doesn't always work out and chicken soup doesn't always help. Yeah. I don't know. It's a good idea. It's a good idea. So let's uh, let's get into this. Uh, friends, we want to welcome you to a wonderful new episode of the Jewish Divorce Project. Shev and I are very happy to welcome a new friend, Rachel Kaplan, who's a licensed psychotherapist in the Bay Area. And she has a fantastic podcast in which she talks about healing and feelings and the shit show that it is. In fact, it's called the Healing Feeling Shit Show which you can find on, I believe, every sort of podcast yep. platform there is, right? Everyone. It's like I just over re- 100, 165,000 downloads worldwide. That's right. Like that. Yeah. That's 122 countries. Wow. It's funny. I just realized my in my dream last night, you, Sheva, were like, don't swear. So I'm like, okay, I've done that once. I was preparing to spell it out, the SH asterisk t-shirt so <laughs> that wasn't real you're telling me no we drop the f-bombs here all the time as Fuck! of late i mean i think okay. just because it was passover a little while ago and that drives everyone crazy but yeah okay good to fucking know that's funny that in your in your mind before we've met i'm the censoring one <laughs> <laughs> let's explore that i don't know what that says about me though it says you're loose Oh, wonderful. Good to know. I hope my mother listens to this episode then. I'll be really Hello. <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> Rachel, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, you've got a lot of wisdom to bring to this conversation, and we would just love for you to have an opportunity to introduce yourself and tell us some really important details. Great. Um, well, before we started recording, I asked Noam, like, am I here as a divorcee? Am I, am I here as a therapist and healing expert? And he's like, all of it. So <laughs> I'll try to do a little um, blended story. And so my the origin, I think, of both my marriage and my healing journey started with my first love, which happened in Youngstown, Ohio. We were just playing Jewish geography. Um, And my, you know, I, of course, as a human, I was attached to my parents, but was a little bit aloof and separate. And so the first person I wanted to be as close to as possible with was this young boyfriend. And we had about two year relationship and then he committed suicide. And there's a whole buildup of that story. Of course, anyone touched by suicide knows it's devastating, but um, it was really annihilating for me. And so, I mean, I, I tried to stop him from committing suicide by saying I would also and his suicide note was just this, I actually almost don't want to ruin it because there's a really great version, which Noam is in the middle of, um, of the memoir on my, in my season one, um, episode four. But his suicide note was basically just a request that I don't kill myself also, um, which no one understood but me. So, so anyway, by, f- by 15, it was right before I turned 15. By 15, I wanted to die. And, but by maybe 16, I was desperately seeking relief and started studying first kind of what all of the religious practices said about what happens after death. And then um, I got into therapy. I had my next relationship, realized I was dead inside (laughs) and um, basically started a journey that became really the theme of my life, which was 
studying healing. And so by the time I was, you know, my senior year project was the um, alphabet of healing in the honors program. I really got away with a lot there, Mrs. Hoover. <laughs> what but, did you uh, do for X? <laughs> what did I do for, oh, I'd have to consult my little book, but I will get back to you on that. <laughs> I think I may have uh, cheated and put a, a letter in front like of it. But... Extreme meditation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, you feel the vibe though. You're right. That was, it was like that. It's funny. I've reread it and it's like both so awful and also really still, still so true. But <clears throat> anyway, uh, and then in, in college, I had gotten into Eastern religions, um, actually built my major uh, around a program in Nepal and I was studying yoga and meditation and um, yeah, I think I had my first like big, oh my God, this is so precious. My first big healing moment when I was 18, um, I was being guided by the only individual therapist that's ever been helpful for me, who I'm, ha I'm, I'm flying to Colorado tomorrow to have dinner with. I'm going to see my college friends for the rest of the weekend, but it's so precious. I actually found out that my podcast, season one of my podcast, which is the How Do You Relate to Your Feelings Like Your Poops, um, is actually required mandated listening for all of her clients, which is like so heartwarming. And she still has my psychedelic, I just started smoking pot art on her refrigerator. <laughs> anyway, that's for another topic. I love her. Isn't that so? <laughs> Go ahead, Sheva. You have something to say about that. <laughs> I did, I'm curious, what was it or what was it about her approach that was the only effective therapy you. Yeah. Well, as a, as an empath and a sharp little nut and, um, and as a therapist, and I feel like I'm just, I'm constantly, um, skeptical of like empathic moans, you know, mm. it's like, I just don't want, and so, I mean, the, the most useful thing about her approach that's really stuck with me and is so the heart of what I'm still doing, which didn't come through a therapist at all. I'll get there in a second. I'm not going to tell everything, every detail. <laughs> In case anyone's worried, <laughs> it's only a half an hour episode, Rachel. You can't tell all your secrets. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she, one of the things she said was, you know, she'd ask me how I feel and I'd be like, I'm frustrated, blah, 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 you know? And she was like, nope, you have four options. You can be happy, mad, sad, and scared. And the simplicity in which she limited me, it really made me drop into my body. And so I started eventually to leave my head and go back into my feelings. And there was just a way she was this, she was Jewish and hip and bohemian in Youngstown, Ohio, where, you know, my mom was not. And I think she just recognized there was just a deep soul connect. She said, you know, she, she said that when I talked to her on zoom, after she reached out to me recently, that, you know, that it was a really profound connection for her also. So at any rate, that was like my first kind of wave of healing, which I, I arrogantly was like, I'm healed. <laughs> it turns out it was like, it took until 2015 mm. where I was on, um, you know, fast forward to being on a solo retreat with like a desert based, um, like Apache initiated healer, um, which I'll give a little more background to, but where, you know, essentially I had, I think like the biggest breakthrough. So, you know, many years down the road, I ended up in the Bay area for grad school, um, started seeing clients as a 26 year old. And I think I've always been naturally really good at what I do and, and gifted just because of the depth of pain I had to learn to tolerate in myself. Um, 
And I think about for the first like 10 years of being a professional, I was still hobbling around with my own sense of worthlessness and shame. And um, so I started, I, I got engaged and I got married. And in that, in the engagement, I reached out to this healer I had worked with briefly, who I was not yet ready to work with and was like, help. <laughs> um, and you know, interestingly, in the beginning of our work to tie back in the marriage, he was like, well, what do you think is the problem? And I was like, mark, 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 mark. <laughs> you know, just kind of complaining <laughs> um, about whether I would ever get my needs met from the, the husband. And he essentially said, that's not what I got when I sat with it. And, and when, what he said is that the, the injury of the suicide was so profound um, and so insidious that, you know, that I had plateaued that I felt like I was healed, but I had plateaued and that that part of me that felt so worthless and doomed to be left, um, you know, getting married was like bringing it up on the high dive oh, and that it was just freaking out. And mm. so essentially I really deeply loved my husband and, you know, we were in the same community. We were friends for years. We had all the same interests. I was attracted to him. There were all these pieces there. And yet for both of us, the way our nervous systems would respond to pressure was pretty, uh, it created this like indestructible, like unchangeable, like new, <laughs> I, I, I'm lacking the, the specificity in my words because it's like 8 a.m. here, but, um, you know, it created this thing that was, was really toxic, you know, um, his system would slow down and shut down under pressure. My system would speed up. Um, and you know, anything that happened, anything that went wrong between us was never really repairable. Mm. And for me, I've, I've really come to understand that I think the most important thing in relationship is repair, because if you can repair well, I think you can overcome everything and get closer through challenge. And if you can't repair, you're just fucked really. Um, but so during, so I basically started working with this healer, um, during the marriage. And I was so invested in, in healing so I could save the marriage essentially. I was, and I was so terrified of the marriage ending. Um, I was like, ah, everyone's going to know I'm really too weird to be married. <laughs> My college friends were right, you know, <laughs> cause I've always been weird. It's hard to be weird in California, but, um, anyway, so I worked my ass off and the healer did not let me complain about the husband for years. He was just showing me my stuff. Like I've sent countless people to this guy and no one can tolerate it. He's so ferocious. He's the opposite of all the fake moaning therapists. He's like, okay, if you don't deal with this, you're, you know, this is really fucked up about you. And he's just so direct right. into the wound anyway. And, and he's also in this whole different approach of like, kind of how to be a part of something from this native perspective. How do you contribute? And anyway, it was life-changing. It was truly life-changing. And, um, you know, I went out for a five-day solo, which was terrifying because <laughs> being around him is very uncomfortable. Um, there's a whole toilet reference, but I'm going to skip that. He dug me a, a toilet in the ground. It was the nicest thing anyone's ever done anyway. <laughs> but basically this solo, he said, look, like the part of your development was like stalled at 15 you know, and that you've pedestalized this dead boyfriend and this, the way he did it was an attack and you need to fight back. So anyway, mm -hmm. just beautiful kind of like lifelong journey. I ended up, it was all about bringing forth fire that, that solo, if I could bring forth fire, we were going to do a sweat lodge. If I couldn't, if I failed again, I had failed. Sweat once lodges before. are awesome. Yeah. So it was this whole thing. I brought forth fire. He like 
pulled out part of the dead boyfriend's like soul, blah, blah. Anyway, about a year and a half later, I left the marriage. And interestingly, um, you know, I had moved, I had moved out for a year, um, you know, and try trying to say, look, I, I think, I don't know if we're going to get divorced, but this isn't working. I, I finally learned how to regulate myself and how to move my feelings on my own and give him the space he needed. And he never really came along. So I moved out. Um, and then eventually um, didn't still feel like I had the answer. I knew he was going to move on quickly and with someone I knew. In fact, I knew who it was probably psychically. Anyway, I finally moved back in and the healer was like, oh God. So anyway, six months into living back with him, I just had to really face this question of I've worked my whole life, literally my whole life for well-being. And if I stay in this marriage, I'll never have it. I just won't have it. I was picking myself off the floor emotionally once a week. So I was like, you know, what is, I had to say, what's my worst fear? And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm homeless in the gutter alone for the apocalypse. Jesus. I was like, cool, cool. Dark really fast. <laughs> I know, but I was like, I'll still, I still, I still have to leave that stuff, you know? And we weren't even sharing money. So it, I wasn't even really actually being supported in the marriage in that way anyway. But yeah, so basically I left in 2017 and I got clear on a Thursday, but we agreed we were going to talk on Saturday. I also had a call with the healer on Saturday. By the way, they have the same name, um, which is crazy. And and the healer's last name is Grand. So it's like this this sandwich. I'm not going to use their names, but um, the, the Grand and the, the less Grand sandwich. <laughs> Life-changing. Anyway. Um, so on Saturday, I talked to him, I'm like, I'm about to leave. He's like, I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I am. Anyway, it was the anniversary of the dead boyfriend's death. Oh, wow. And then I found my dream apartment, which I was. Wait, was that in. deliberate? No, that was God. <laughs> yeah. And then Jeez. and then I found my the apartment Jeez. that I was so in love with. And I knew the housing market like the back of my hand because I had moved in. I had moved out. I was always wondering if I should move, you know, what I was doing for like probably two years. So I saw this place. I was so in love. I got it. Thank God. And, um, was supposed to move on a Monday with the movers and they were like, it's too rainy. Let's push it back a day. And so the day I ended up moving out of my marital home was a dead boyfriend's birthday. So it really, to me, Wait, you know, at, anniversary of his death or his birthday, his birthday, I, I oh. left the marriage on his death. I moved out, not by my doing by the movers doing on his birthday. So to me, it feels like, and just, a, you know, I know this is a long story, but this marriage is really the, is like, this is like a Doc Brown moment, especially since it's all about like time at different places and how they intersect. This is a heavy moment. I'm just saying. Yeah. And but so beautiful to me, like to me, it's like I feel 100 percent like I was supposed to marry this beautiful human and it was supposed to be as disastrous as it was. And that for me, that created this cauldron and pressure to do the deepest, most challenging and effective healing work I've done in my life. I feel like it taught him how to, you know, he, cause he also deeply loved me and wanted it to work. And we were working, we saw all the therapists, we did all the things, but he couldn't quite integrate it with me. And he's, he's about to be married to a wonderful person. And I think he's going to be able to be the type of partner that she will appreciate very much because of what we learned. And I joke or not joke, but I think it's like, it feels like the karmic equivalent of having grandbabies. It feels like this, what I did in this marriage. And then the, the best part is that in the aftermath, and it took about a year to fully grok it for myself, but is I, I finally actually felt like well and deeply valuable and worthwhile and lovable. It was like, I finally actually healed, you know, not to say completely, cause we're obviously we're in process, but 
I, I actually feel worthwhile and deeply lovable. And I love myself in a way that I never dreamed I would in my life. And, and that's where the podcast came from. That's where the healing feeling shit show came from. At some point, the healer said to me midway, you know, <clears throat> this is how he talks. It's, it's not quite how he talks, but this is the vibe. What you're receiving, it's a debt and you can never pay back the debt unless you fully just step up to your life and claim your life and you pay it forward. And I was like, okay. But somehow like in the, in, you know, in the next, probably a little bit after a year um, and after realizing I, I actually finally loved myself, I was like, I know I'll make a podcast. And so the first season of the podcast is really the, you know, what I did was I honed in on the part of the healing and I, and I won't describe it right now because Lord knows we all need a breath, but um, let's talk about uh, the shit part about it for a second. Wait, because- wait, 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 wait. let me just, what, oh, yeah, sorry. I just sorry. honed, I honed in on the one part of the, um, the, the thing that I think, you know, beyond the magical shit that he brought, which I can't duplicate because I am not him. The ho- I honed in on the thing that I think was the most absolutely necessary, specific and life-changing. And so the, the shit show is really, and you know, in my own words, I had been a therapist for 15 years, you know, at the point of putting that out. So it wasn't all of his work, but deeply influenced by his work. And it's like this free thing that exists for anyone who has access to the internet, who it's like the best I have to offer. And it really does feel like just such a beautiful um, gift that my life and the, the hardships of my life and the, um, the beauty of my life has, has created. So that is my about me. <laughs> so, Thank you for asking. <laughs> Rachel, you brought up a really interesting point um, when you talked about your marriage. And I think that a lot of people and possibly all of us, we go into a marriage or a relationship really focusing on the positive things. What are the values that we have in, some, in common? What are the attributes and characteristics that I'm looking for? How are we in sync? Do we spend time together well? And we forget to focus on what I actually call our shit. Does our shit match? Because we all have that other side, the shadow, the other side, your shit, your garbage. We all have it. We're humans yeah. and we grow up with it. And that has to kind of be in sync also. And, and I think recognizing that, you know what? We have all these great parts that match together, but like the shit doesn't match. We right. just can't figure yeah. out how to get that on the same track. That, that's really valid. And I think my question is, maybe it's a little bit too personal, but have you been in, in a relationship since where your shit has matched, you know, were able to it's, find that? It's fascinating. I mean, I've, I've dated a lot. No, no, I'm and I've started talking about my dating stats, um, partially because I'm just like, I feel cleared of the illusion that um, a marriage or a partnership alone is going to make me happy as a construct. If it's not the right fit, I'm not interested. And I finally feel pretty happy even in COVID, it got a little dicey in COVID. I'm not going to lie. Um, but I've had two connections um, that were really deep. One that was with a newly divorcing rabbi, actually, that it was, you know, a disaster in some way. I, like, as soon as I realized this situation, I was like, oh, you take some time. And we weren't able to give it enough time. So he was just not ready. Um, so I don't know really how the shit matched or didn't match. And then just this fall, I actually had the first and kind of only what felt like a real, like we're both really in, we both see a, a potential future um, connection. And, and as far as what, the, I mean, what I'll say is that it was beautiful for me because it was my first experience being in a relationship since, since loving myself. <laughs> and I was such a different partner than I had ever been. I really had a concept about myself previously that like, I'm a fantastic healer, a lot of fun, go to a show with me. 
I'm not the best partner, you know? Mm. I didn't feel like the best partner because I just wasn't. And um, and I was like really blown away by the type of partner I was able to be recently because, you know, I was I was loving and forgiving and, and um, spacious, but also there's a way, and I don't know if you relate to this, both of you, it's like, I see people's emotional shit kind of like a car mechanic would see an engine. And it's not a big deal, but it's like very clear to me. My mm. friend's like, you're a little bit like the, I see dead people <laughs> person. Um, and this man, he. Meaning you see how it works, right? That's the metaphor. Well, I see it clearer. Right? Like you have a clearer picture. That I get, that I like, get but I, I was wondering. Yeah, like, like an example, because <clears throat> this guy, he's not going to find the podcast. I have to be a little delicate. With the other, we people. all have to play that delicate game of who's listening to what we're saying. Yeah, this guy's not. This going is why to we be. have rules and boundaries. <laughs> yeah, um, he won't be listening. So, I mean, here's an example. And actually, no, I'm and I just let a rage room. So, here's an example. For me, I've done a lot of work, and some of the most transformational work in my journey was like learning to harness anger. And for me, I would, you know, so I would go out with an ax and I've taken dozens of my clients out to the woods with axes and I would chop wood, dead wood. And sometimes I didn't have enough time to get far away from the road. And so I'd be chopping and a car would drive by and I'd be filled with shame and I'd be like, don't look at me. <laughs> and a shame rage monster would come out and I would keep chopping. And so for me, I was like, oh yeah, shame and rage besties. And, and I think that that's actually when we see toxic anger in the world, what we're really seeing is the bubble of deep shame within. So, you know, we went, we spent nine days in the desert, you know, he, he decided, and I'm really direct. And so I wanted him to make, I know the desert well down in Joshua tree, that area. That's a beautiful like, area. Whatever decisions he wants to make, I'm going to let, you know, so he was like, he really wanted to stay at um, the Motel 6, I think, <laughs> for the first few days. And I was going to, I was like, okay, you know, he wants to do that. And then as we were driving in, you know, I could tell he was uncomfortable. We were talking about it and he ended up like snapping. It was the, and here's a, just a little example. So for me, I'm like, oh no, you know, here's the shame rage, you know, buddies, <laughs> Of course he gets to have that. We all get to have whatever we have. And I, I didn't think it was a big deal, but he, I don't think he was anywhere near. And ultimately it ended, you know, he got terrified. He said, I don't like how I'm showing up. Um, he was starting to see aspects mm. of himself that he had never seen. And partially because, you know, he had had a pretty traumatic little upbringing in ways there was poverty and four children and the dad left at four. He was like the man of the house at four, all this. But he had just focused so hard on surviving it and overcoming particularly the poverty aspect that he hadn't paused yet to be like, that was hard. And as he shared it with me throughout the relationship, I, I would have empathy for him. And, you know, and he, he wasn't yet ready to recognize that it was hard. And, and he, what he, on date one, he, he said to me, you know, I don't know if I've ever uh, met my, an equal, but I don't think I'm as smart as you which was a fascinating thing to say when he left that day. I'm like, you're going to go find people you feel smarter than. And he said, bless his little heart. He said, honestly, I, it's embarrassing, but it's my comfort zone. So I think like he couldn't, he couldn't, 
hide from his shame in relation to me. He couldn't like prop himself up. And even though there was so much love, I mean, like right before it ended, I think the things that finally caused him to run, he started acting out. It was again, just like kind of like shame rage, no big mm. deal, like, and not even rage. But um, so I was like, let's nickname that part. We need that part. I love that part. Like that part, we have to befriend that part. And so we came up, we were going to call it your majesty. And we didn't even, he didn't even try it once. We had just seen um, my favorite movie ever, which is American Beauty. So remember the real estate agent? Yeah. Touch I'm the king. Yes, I'm the king. I'm the king. Yeah. <laughs> so we were like that. And he came up with that. I'm like, that's perfect. And I was like really excited to like explore loving him through that with him in that. Um, and he broke up with me four days later. So, you know, um, it was heartbreaking. And mm. and I'm not going to lie. It's a little, you know, and no, I'm, we've started talking a little bit just about various things and he's like yeah, yeah. You, you probably don't feel your match much I, I think unfortunately I think the more work we do <laughs> on ourselves <laughs> makes for a smaller dating pool and so I I have to you know I struggle really with my own hopelessness sometimes um but I just feel like what's clear to me is you know it needs to be the right fit and even if it means I'm mostly alone in the process until that fit i'm just i you know that's what i'll do if that's what it means also i don't want children so that really makes it easier and it also we didn't have children which is really right that's what you really can't divorce right children are a constant yeah it it it's something you have to They're focus really on hard to get rid of <laughs> there are laws about these things <laughs> i wake Thank up i'm like you guys you guys are still here what? I, I, I appreciate you giving voice to that because that's exactly what i was thinking thank you for taking ownership <laughs> over that i support it 100 percent. yes i own that i say that parents who don't own when they're happy they're happy when their kids go to the other side there's a little bit of bullshit there. Yeah. Right? We, yeah. we need a break. You know, yeah. I have this solution to merit to divorce is like shared custody within marriage. I feel like that will really solve right. a lot of divorce. I agree. I actually think that is the ideal way to parent. Oh, I have a system. I, I, I even think I've talked about it here before. I, I honestly think it's a good idea. Like you should not get divorced until you try shared custody because you need space. You just need yeah. time to figure it out, get get your thoughts in order. And when there's just so much going on around you, it's very hard to do that. Rachel, can you, um, with your um, way of visualizing the way emotions work, can you just help people understand, and particularly me, how the shame rage cycle works? Because um, I understood what you were saying about them being buddies in the process, but just you know, from a purely yeah. technical perspective, why are they paired Dave. together? That's a, that's an advanced question as far as dropping right into that. Well, first of all, I don't know that they're, I mean, is you know, like a 10 word answer about it. That's really easy yeah. for people. What I would say is that I think the core, the deepest of the core wound um, that we're all carrying. And actually, Chev, I really liked um, you in the Passover episode that I listened to of your podcast. You, you said, you know, like, do these actually heal? And I, and I, I felt the same way. And, and, I feel slightly differently now. I do think it's possible to heal them. I, I think it's brutal. I think mm -hmm. to actually heal those parts that requires like such deep work to be able to get down to, to the visceral place of connecting with the pain in, in that depth um, enough that it can start to kind of dislodge. And I think it, because it's such a young wound. And so my understanding, just to go back to your question, 
um, the shame is like this, it's like as deep, it's shame and belonging. Um, and my, my mentor looks at them elementally and he would say belonging is ether. <laughs> um, but it's like this sense of, am I okay? Am I loved as I am? Mm. And because we're wired, um, because we're, you know, we're animals who know that we need caregivers to be so close. We're so vulnerable in our infancy that we need to do whatever is necessary to keep our caregivers close. There's this innate, this is like attachment theory, right? It's like this innate, like, you know, programming to be what they need us to be. And it, it can be subtle, and, but we have that before we have thought. You know, we just know that if, if I cry a lot and mom gl glasses over, mom gets vacant, you know, there's this subtle messaging to not do it because we need that, that connection. And so deep within us, before we even can formulate things, there's this, this sense of, am I, you know, maybe I, I'm not right or I'm not okay. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think for anyone who's wondering how to access that depth of their pain, it's like, it's, it's through simple language. Cause it's such a young thing. Like mine was, I'm bad. And I felt bad and gross. The gross is slightly different. I was really into tickling myself. We'll come back to that. <laughs> maybe not. That's a whole other episode. Yeah. That's I'm another psychedelics and divorce, which is what was alluded to at the beginning. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Divorce and masturbation. Childhood <laughs> masturbation. Anyway. Um, the uptick is what you're speaking about. <laughs> Let's tease that out for next episode. Yeah. yeah. We're going to tease out the masturbation keep, idea. Keep, sure. keep listening. Subscribe, rate, and review <laughs> for that one. <laughs> this has become far more than just a shit show now. Yeah. So um, anyway, so I think because there's such a deep, so because shame is just so profoundly um, you know, at the, the crux of it, it is so tender. Like one of the things that ways I understand shame is it's like having a nerve that's exposed. You know, if you imagine you had a nerve exposed in a tooth, it's like air hurts, water hurts, heat hurts, everything hurts. And when we're walking around deep within us feeling like I'm not okay, any interaction we can is going to inflame or, you know, flare up that sense of shame. And so it's just a natural urge to protect ourselves when we're in pain, right? And so anger, it might not be rage, but there's just going to be this desire to deflect and put out because it's almost intolerable for most people's systems, which is why we, why there's so many layers upon layers of, of um, compensation for the not enoughness, why we're trying all so hard to prove we're enough, but yet deep down, because it's so core, even if it's only 2% of it, of us that believes that that's the truth. And the rest of us feels like a cover up, which is, you know, what people are calling imposter syndrome. It's like, I think it, that's a deeper picture of what's happening. How's yeah. that? <laughs> it sounds like just this inability to be vulnerable in our deepest, deepest sense. And that shame part of you, which actually reminds me, I was reading a book this week and all of a sudden I have this, had this vision of that, like our center core as just being this, this shining luminescent bulb and that's at our center. And that that is so, we are rarely taught to exist in the world as that, to show up as this, as this just unencumbered, shiny self. And we're taught with, through the attachment kind of stuff to cover it up with all of these layers to try and be accepted and try and be loved. And that's how we show up to the world. And that center self, it's too scary and too vulnerable to actually reveal that because what we've learned in the past is it's not usually accepted Absolutely. because our parents are flawed in their, right. you know, they have also covered up their orbs. Right. Um, 
And that's so beautiful too, that like we can have as much shame about our light. Yeah. It's, you know, it's like we could, it's so true. And yeah, I think that's, I think that's what it is. I think it is a shame about our light because it's almost this misunderstanding of, I can't be fully me for some reason that won't be accepted. And it's a misconception that's tragic that happens right at the beginning in infancy. And then we grow up ashamed or unable to actually come as ourselves. Right. And that those are the most beautiful parts of us and that our sensitivities and our quirkiness actually are what make us so uniquely us, the, the little, you know, the imprint of flame that we're carrying. That's so uniquely ours. Um, yeah, I agree. And I think that's why, you know, to go back to your question about the shit and the shit show, it's like, Yes, it's all about emotions, what I'm teaching, but it's like the truth is, is like if you do the healing work, I think what emerges is this authenticity of, wow. you know, actually reintegrating these parts that we were so ashamed of and, and pushed down and giving them enough love and enough care and care, I think, being the key word, because love, I think, for most people who are wounded, which is most of us, is like this abstract, like what, you know, unless you have like kids or pets maybe plants. I do love my plants, but it's like to actually feel the depth of love, but we can imagine what care is to give care to something. Right. Or, um, but to, to heal the parts enough where we reintegrate them and bring them back. So then we get to feel, Oh, this is, this is actually me. We get to accept and start to be ourselves in the world and use our emotional compass to find the people who, you know, are right fit for us. And the, you know, I, it's like the last episode of season one is, and I will get back. I know I'm not talking about the poop part. I know you're very excited about that, Noam. Well, I have a question <laughs> but, um, separate about that, but what you're talking about just brings up wait, something. Wait, 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 keep going. What's the last episode? <laughs> you are my protector, Sheva. Um, look at you, Sheva Bracha. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'll sit back now. I see. I'm going to noodle dance. Everyone can't see. That's the problem with being on video is I'm noodle dancing. You guys know they don't. Okay. Um, the, the, the 12th episode is like, okay. Oh, well, there are two parts of it. One is like, how do you actually really integrate how, what's kind of, it's like creating rite of passage in some way so that people can actually take in who they are now, because you can do profound healing work and never really um, absorb that you've done it. So you always feel like you're still that older self. But the other part is like, what do you do now that you realize you don't like your wife? You don't like your job. You know, it's like, how do you actually deal with the changes, you know, in a, in a safe way, because it can be so terrifying. So some tips on that. Cause I think the truth is, is once we learn how to have our feelings, it really, it changes how we appear in the world, right? And it can, and what, what we like and what we don't like. And we may have built a life around our compensation strategies versus around our truest deep orb of radiance. I think, and I know you have a question now, but I think that that is what a lot of people post-divorce struggle with was either they, they were the instigators. And so they, they were the ones who stepped mm. up to the plate and demanded the divorce, or they were kind of, in a sense, the victims and left. But either way, the question is now what, mm. <laughs> right? Yeah. So now what? Like, okay, now I'm free of all the things that ruined my life for the past however many years. What are my options now? And I think that a lot of people get stuck in that space of figuring out how to do things differently or what it is that they really want to have that's different. Right, and if you didn't do, it's one thing if you did all this deep inner work and that's what led you to this launching point. Um, but I doubt that's what happens most of the time. And, and anyone who thinks that the partner is what ruined their lives is in for a sad surprise when they're still with themselves. And, mm. 
Yeah. And, you know, as we know, divorce has its own hardships around community and, and all of that. Interestingly, I, by the time I finally left the shame, I was so terrified to feel, and this is just one little tip from episode 12. It wasn't there. I, I felt so deeply proud of who I was um, and just so strong. I felt, you know, I'm what I, like I talk about with the shit show is like emotional resilience. It's like mm. getting to a place where we trust that we can have all of our hard feelings. We know what to do with them. We can move them through us so that, you know, we can handle what comes. And so, you know, I did have a few moments of feeling left out or feeling, but I was able to just get in the bathtub and feel the pain and cry and write a poem and be like, this wasn't so bad. And I think that the tip is like, when we get terrified of the future, you know, if you're contemplating leaving a marriage or, you know, when we're thinking about well, what will I do at my kid's bar mitzvah or wedding or whatever, you know, just to keep it Jewish for you guys. Um, <laughs> you're welcome. We're a little but, bit here. But, you know, when we start tripping out into the future of like what, you know, what is it going to be like? It's like the, the best thing to do is notice, okay, I'm terrified and I'm scared right now. And the part of me that's scared right now needs support right now. And I need to move the energy of fear. I need to, you know, and I could say how to do that if you wanted, but um, instead of, you know, to trust that we're not going to be the person who's solving that problem out in the future by the time we get there. So it's really a waste of our time to spin about it, but it's absolutely the most valuable thing we could do with our time to come back into the moment where we can address our fear. What were can you going to say before? No, um, now's your can, time. Can I? Okay, good. Thank you. I'm <laughs> glad I have permission. Excellent. So I just wanted to say what you were talking about in terms of like the light and whatnot that we have that can often be something very frightening to us. It reminded me about, um, I think it's Marianne Williamson who said something that like our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate, but it's that we're powerful beyond measure, right? Yeah. Who, and we doubt that innately. Who am I to be bold and beautiful and all these things? She yeah. talks about it being a really liberating quality. I'll remember to share that quote. But, uh, you know, as we're winding down, um, you and I have had a little bit of a debate, Rachel, about what feelings are best um, uh, articulated as metaphor as. And so you, you say that feelings are like shit. Yeah. Uh, and I say like feelings are like, well, I recently learned on Clubhouse through a friend named Ozzy Osbourne, um, that feelings are like farts, right? They're not facts right? They're not factual. There may be something true, but they're not factual in the long term, right? Um, and they're more so like farts in that they come up, they bubble up within us, but we need to get them out. And they may stink sometimes. And sometimes they can be silent, but deadly. And sometimes they can be really loud and disgusting and leave a mark. Mm-hmm. And I yeah, apologize I, for getting so graphic, but clearly I'm the loose one here. We've had a mature <laughs> conversation till now, and this is what's no, been on everyone's I mean, mind. You're you're in my wheelhouse. I agree with everything you said. I, I sat with that um image, uh, like that metaphor, because you know, I'm just taking it one step further, which is something I do innately. <laughs> um, but I the, the what I said to Noam is just the only thing that doesn't land for me, and I am very aware of this having decided to eat macaroni and cheese yesterday, is that for me, I only only have gas um, when something is off with my digestive system. Whereas like any human alive, let me just do my pitch with you. Okay. Sheva, yeah. when you woke up this morning and you felt like the, the like cramping in your guts that you had to, you had to poop. Did you post something or check your Tinder matches or, or eat something or smoke something? Or what did you do? I don't go first thing in the morning. Rachel. Whenever you did, whenever you <laughs> had your signal. Okay, so really I went and here. I took care of my needs. Is is 
Yeah, you went to the bathroom and you shat, right? You right. left a shit. It's so funny. We say we say took a shit, but it's like it's really not true. We leave it. But anyway, and you didn't you didn't like we don't think, okay, well, I did that yesterday. What if the what if the guys what if what if the guys knew I, I'm shitting again? What does it mean about me that I'm shitting? We never look in the bowl and think that is me or that all even we don't even think we're wise enough to think to know that that's it's not even how all of our shits are going to be like every shit is different, you know, and we don't identify with it. We might not, there is shame there, which is part of why I use the metaphor because it feels like a, a connecting feature of like, we are a little bit ashamed of our shit maybe, but less ashamed, I think, than the part of us that feels like shit. But we, we wash up and we move about our day and we're less full of, of shit, right? We feel lighter and better. And, you know, unfortunately, we and we were potty trained. That's how we do that. Because right away, because it's such a feature of our humanity, like to go back to your metaphor, you know, whether or not I eat something that's off for me, I'm going to have to poop. If I'm eating, which I'm going to do to survive as a biological organism, I'm going to need to poop, right? And so we weren't trained, you know, what are emotions, the way I talk about them is intense clusters of sensation rolling in squads. That's how I keep it young with the hip kids. Squads. <laughs> squads. Thing, you know? Mentioned squads. Your anyway, squad so, deep. Yeah, you roll in your squads. It's like anger. It's all very physical. And, you know, the heat that rises or the achiness, the pit of our stomach or our chest, the sinking feelings. And they're also, it's just signals the same way the cramping in your guts is a signal that you need to do something. And what the, the signal is, you need to tune into this experience to move it, not in any way different than pooping, right? Um, but instead of being trained how to do that, we've been trained and we're living, we're operating within an economy um, and we're being lovingly parented by humans who are, it's hard to, as you two know, and I don't, it's hard to like get through the grocery store if your kid's having a meltdown on aisle five, right? Like you're inclined to like soothe them and tell them they're okay and they're fine instead of really help them learn to ride those waves. It's just necessary. And then our economy and our culture has realized they can make a lot more money off of us if we are consuming instead of just moving those feelings through. And so we all buy the things and the, pr the products and we watch the shows because we think that we'll get relief, but all of the forms of relief that we turn to instead of turning toward those intense clusters of painful emotional sensations are all incredibly temporary. Often they're very addictive. You know, mine is sweaters. I have more sweaters. If I didn't buy sweaters, I could probably buy a house in the Bay area. Like it doesn't. And I keep buying more sweaters, just like you keep doing more of your drug of choice, whatever it is, because it doesn't actually bring relief. And so, you know, the emotional potty training for grownups for me is like, how do you turn toward that sensation? How do you actually bring your awareness um, into your body enough and create a strong enough connection with it? Because the truth is, is that we become very afraid of these things that we've been trying to avoid for a long time. And just like if you didn't poop for 10 years or even a week, you're going to be backed up. It's going to be painful. It's going to be really big and hard to pass. Emotions, when we neglect them for long enough, they become more complex and more painful. And so there's a lot of work before we can actually just get to the movement part around how do we increase our, our capacity to connect. So learning, you know, do I need to put on sad music? Do I need to get in a bathtub? Do I need to sit with a tree? I mean, what, what we see culturally is that people are really good at using each other as bandwidth enhancements, as Wi-Fi hotspots. And so they dump on each other or they'll get into like a few, you know, ruts. Sometimes people create drama so that they can have 
the release, right? Because if enough pressure comes in our lives, it'll squeeze our feelings out of us like toothpaste, right? Um, but the ideal, what I'm trying to teach is like, for each person to learn what, what do you need? First of all, who's in your basement? Who did you push down? Who did you decide was unlovable? You know, um, so how do you go in in a, in a um, caring way, not mm -hmm. in an, a, not in an exploitative way, right? Like, all right, I've been ignoring you for 30 years. I need you now. I heard that you're the deal. Come here. You know, it's like, if I were a little tender part, I'd be like, fuck you, you know? But like, how do you do that? How do you actually establish a safe relationship with those wounded parts? How do you care for them on the daily so that they start to feel more valuable? So half of the work is really about learning to care for those parts. And then how do you connect deeply enough with them where suddenly you can access the pain, realize it's your pain, release it, and then kind of come out of that in a gentle way in these like little emotional movements. And they start off doing, you'd start off learning how to do it reactively. You learn eventually how to do it proactively so you can clear the backlog, which is much harder to do proactive work where you're like just chilling in your day. You're like, I'm gonna go feel my grief. And you go and you feel your grief and come back. That's hard work. Um, so it's like, and then, you know, what are various ways to, to move those feelings? Like, well, how can you actually embody it and physicalize it? And so, you know, there's four episodes, there's one on anger, sadness, shame, and fear each that really give tons of ideas and help people like visualize the energetic of it and um, connect to it elementally in all these ways. Um, just so that we can, so that we know like when something knocks us off our baseline, you know, I mean, there's two pieces of things that are happening in this kind of healing. One is you're clearing the backlog from the past. That's like big, deep, hard work. The other is once you get more or less to neutral, then when you when you notice your baseline is off or you're kicked in the shitter, let's say, the, by the way, the, the you know, you've said this to me, no, I'm like the, the, the opportunities to connect the metaphor are just endless, but um, you're in the shitter from some, something little, let's say, something on Clubhouse, let's say. And it's like, I would have the awareness. Sometimes I'll just be like, wait, what's happening? And, you know, and I can remind myself and I still have to remind myself that like, oh, just feel as bad as I feel. That's the answer. Like as soon as I can create enough space and safety, see if I can connect to the bad feeling. That's actually the, the quickest way through to the good feeling is to feel the bad feeling and to release the bad feeling. So it becomes this like much more occasional skill of just like course correcting it and rebounding um, you know, ideally, eventually it's like, the point isn't to always just like be like constantly in the shitter emotionally, but yeah. And then at that point, we're hopefully like operating in the world as more or less the being we really feel like. And so with that idea, cool. with, with that idea of passing through, you must pass through the darkness is another great way to think about the idea of passing yeah. shit, right? Yeah. The birth canal. Yeah. Well, I was thinking maybe the intestines, but mm, yeah, ooh. passing through something like that. Bring it Rachel, to Rachel, if, <laughs> Rachel, if people want to hear your shit and uh, yeah. learn how to heal their own shit, um, yeah. where can they find you? What's the web address? What's uh, we already said the Healing Feeling Shit Show is on all major podcast platforms, uh, yeah. uh, but where can and they the find I you? I is the asterisk, which is a word I had to learn how to say really well. Asterisk. <laughs> anyway, you're welcome. Um, so there's two ways, you know, of course you can, you can go to healingfeelingshitshow.com or, or just look up the podcast. You do have to dig through to, to season one. Season two is really fun. It's more podcast. Like season one is what will change your life. But um, the other way to get into my world is go to yourcorewound.com. And there's a little quiz there that you can take. And it's a little bit of a lie. I'm not going to lie. It's a bit of a gimmick because 
like I said, shame is always going to be the deeper core wound than anger. But what it will tell you is what is the flavor of emotion that's out of balance. And it, I'll send you an episode that correlates to that and a little video of me talking about um, some of the ways you can work with that. You'll see what a weirdo I am if you can't already tell. <laughs> um, and no, yeah. I think you're just, you're, uh, you, my, as my parents would say, you're from the Bay Area. <laughs> I know, but the truth is I was always like this. It's like, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think me. you're weird and I think it's great. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> are you on? Yeah. Are you on Instagram and uh, Facebook? I absolutely am, and it would really help me if you like me and follow me on Instagram because I'm trying to get the book version out. Where and they can really they find care. you on Instagram? Healing, feeling, shit show. I just keep it consistent, but not constipated. Ah, there you go. I, I'm Excellent also. Mark. I'm a really good pooper, by the way. You're That's a probably part of joy. I bet uh, you're. Uh, it's endless. It's endless. You can also find. The Jewish Divorce Project at that title and handle on Instagram and Facebook. And you can reach out to us at uh, the Jewish Divorce Project at gmail.com and www.thejewishdivorceproject.com as well. Yeah. And you definitely want to rate them and review them, give them all the stars. Thank you. That was very come, nice. And come check back out for the podcast, everyone. Come back for the masturbating episode. episode. Exactly. Masturbation <laughs> Thanks episode. So much, followed Rachel. by the psychedelics episode, followed by the coming into All of this it. whole new world. All right. Wonderful. Thanks right, thank everyone you. for joining thank us. Thank you so Rachel. much for having me. It was really fun. Rachel, you've been wonderful. Thank you for being here. Really appreciate your wisdom and your generosity and uh, all the, all the colorful and beautiful metaphors that you've now shared with the public. <laughs> I'm sure this one will so be played nice. in synagogues across America. <sighs> Look, let's be nicer. The part, the fact that we poop, right? I mean, I'm, we won't get into it, but I am curious if Judaism has good things to say about it. I know there's a beautiful blessing for it. There's actually, actually like, a beautiful blessing. It's, um, it's when you wake up in the morning and you just thank God for the ability that your body is so unique. Now that we're getting this in, I'm glad we did this after the communications announcements, <laughs> but yeah. that, yeah, that we're grateful that, um, that our body works in such intricate and amazing ways that it opens and closes in amazing ways. And if, were one of those passages to be blocked or failed from opening, something terrible might happen. Yeah, we should just exactly. enjoy the miraculous nature of the body uh, and how it works, particularly since we have very little control over it. And we can recognize that as simply in the morning by, well, as you're saying, Rachel, taking a, Take shit. a shit. Slash leaving it. Whoever knew taking a shit was such a holy experience. I did. I'm sure my teachers in rabbinical school are really happy now. Good. I am. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Remember to take your poops. Not take them, leave them. Leave them, sorry, leave them, <laughs> leave the poops. All right, bye-bye. Mm -hmm.